I told you that in the book of Genesis, we learn about God, obviously, all through the Bible we learn about God, but we learn about God and we also learn about beginnings. That's what Genesis even means, beginnings. And we learn about the beginnings of creation. We learn about the beginnings of humanity. We learn about the beginnings of sin and the beginnings of salvation. All of those things show up here in Genesis. And, and what we've learned, what we learned last week already, is that God is the beginning. So before all else, before everything else in this universe, there was God. All right, and that's what we, we looked at in, this, uh, in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That part is clear. He was and is beyond and before all things. And as the Bible unfolds, we start learning more about the character of who this God is. Just to say that God is a creator and he's out there and he's big, that doesn't give us a whole lot of information about who God is and about what he's like. But as we continue to go through scripture, we'll learn those things. And today, we're going to look at the beginnings of creation. All right, and so for some of you, when, when I talk about, uh, let's do Genesis together, you're like, oh, Genesis 1. This is the one I've been waiting for. This is the part I want to figure out. This is the part I want to try to understand. Um, and, and so here we are, guys. Now, as we learned last week, there are a lot of details and specifics that we might want to know that aren't addressed in the Bible. All right, so I hope this isn't a letdown for any of you. Um, that are hoping to, to sort through all of this. There, but there's a lot of things, of details that we don't know, that the Bible doesn't tell us. And creation is one of those main places. But I really want you to, to encourage you not to get hung up on the parts that we don't know. All right? Um, the thing about this passage of Scripture, the six days of creation that we're going to look at here today, um, it's created all sorts of conversation and dialogue in the church. And that part's good. When we start imagining what was creation like and how did this all take place and what was God doing and what was God's purpose, that's good to have those conversations. It's conversation and dialogue, good. But the problem is, when it comes to creation, it's also spurred a lot of controversy, all right, and, and a lot of division, which is not good. That's not why we're here. We're not here to try to, to, to fight with each other and divide over these things. And, and I often try to help you discern the difference between what we call the essential doctrines of faith, all right? A doctrine is a teaching, a specific teaching about what does it mean to actually be Christian, all right? There's a difference between essential doctrines of faith and non-essential doctrines, all right? There's still things that we teach, things that we understand, but they're not essential to faith. And the difference between these two is it's the difference between what makes you Christian or not, what makes us different than, than the cults or than different religions of the world. That's the essential doctrines of faith. And then there's these non-essential things that there are people within the Christian faith that are still Christians that have different teachings and different opinions on. And it's not about whether or not they're Christian, whether or not they are people of faith but there are some different places there, okay? And we have to discern between the two things. Because what happens sometimes is people get locked up in all these non-essential things and say, this is the way it must be. And if you can't agree with me here, then there's no way that you're a Christian. No, no, no. 
If we're talking about these things, the essential doctrines are right. If we're talking to, let's say, a Jehovah's Witness, and we're talking about the difference between their understanding of who Jesus is and who God is, it's a very different vision than what we have as, as Christians, okay? And so there is a difference. There's a separation here. That's an essential doctrine, who God is and who Jesus is. That's essential. But a lot of these other things that we want to push over here to this category, things like creation, as we're going to talk about here, they're, they're non-essential doctrines, all right? And so this is going to be a little tricky for some of you, especially if you've been part of a church before that has said, oh, this is essential. It must be this way or else, all right? When we talk about some of the details of creation, they are categorized over here in the non-essentials. In fact, this week I read, I went through just to read a lot of, uh, a few lists um, from all sorts of different uh, Christian churches and organizations and backgrounds and theologians looking at lists of essential doctrines. Because what I wanted to try to find was, I wanted to th say, is anybody, is there any particular denomination of church or anything that says this is essential? None. I couldn't find them anywhere. There's lots of lists out there, and some of them are, you know, 32 points, and others are six points, or whatever it is. But in none of those could I find a list that said the days of creation, the, the moments of creation, the details of creation fall into this list. All right? Um, now, it is essential to believe that there is one God who created all things. That's what we talked about last week. There is one God, and that God created all things. That's an essential doctrine of faith. But how this one God went about that process is not essential. All right? And I, I really want you guys to see the difference there. It's good and it's fine for us to, to debate some of these issues, to talk about these issues. We don't have to be scared of them uh, because that's what you also find. Is some people are like, ooh, that's like a hot button. We don't want to talk about that. Ooh, you can't bring that up. We don't talk about politics and we don't talk about creation because we'll, we'll get in a fight, right? We don't have to be scared of it. It's good for us to, to talk about those things and think about those things, but we should not divide over those things, Okay. We shouldn't divide over them. No one should leave a church over the creation account. And just so you know, it happens. I've seen it with my own two eyes, all right? People that literally say, I cannot fellowship with these people any longer if they don't believe the way I believe about this, all right? That's not how it's supposed to be. Now, like a lot of things in our world right now, part of the reason that it gets to that point, that tension point, is because people have tried to divide this topic of creation into two hard divisions. They say it's either creation or it's evolution. And they'll, they'll, they'll even throw that word around, okay? Supposing that this one believes in God and this one believes in, well, what they, a lot of times they'll say is science, all right? As, as if there's some way that God and science somehow can't fit together. All right? Um, and it's not that simple. Because what you also find as you start studying each of these sides is there are multiple divisions within each side. From the creation side, we have what's called old earth creationists and young earth creationists. An old earth creationist says the world is 4.5 billion years old. A young earth creationist says, oh, it's between four and 6,000 years old. All right? And, and they're very, very staunch on where they're at on those things. 
Then you jump all the way over here on the evolution side and you've got the, the microevolution adaptation people and then the full on like macroevolution where one thing goes from one species to the next species. You know, it was a zebra and it became a dolphin or whatever. You know, there's that. So you've got these, these all sorts of things happening there. Then on top of that, you have these people that fall somewhere in between, like theistic evolutionists that say evolution was a mechanism that God, who created, used. And then you've got these people that are, are intelligent design people and say, no, it was actually design and this is... So there's a lot in there, guys. There's a, there's a whole lot. And obviously, as you can tell, we could just spend a few days going through each of these positions and looking at all that. We're not going to. What I want you to understand is it's not just, oh, it's either this or it's that. There's a lot in there. Not only that, even among God-fearing, Bible-loving people, there are different interpretations of these next few verses that we're going to look at. All right? I'm talking good Christian people, and they have different viewpoints on it. All right? I'm going to give you a list of six of the different viewpoints on the next verses that we're going to look at before we get into it. All right, and, and let me tell you this. The reason I'm spending our time talking about some of these things is because this matters when you're sharing your faith with other people. A lot of times, especially people that have no church background, when they start hearing you, you talk about faith and talk about God, they have some presuppositions. And they have some certain things that they have been taught or that they believe about God and about creation. And it's good and important for us as believers to actually know what believers think about this. To have been exposed to some of these different positions, to be intelligently thought through on some of these things, so that we can dialogue and talk with these people. We want people to be able to ask us these questions. We want somebody, I love it when somebody comes to me, which happened not that long ago, and said, so you're telling me you believe that Jesus was a person who died and rose again. Yes, and I'm glad you asked that question. Let's talk about it. It's important that we, that we go through some of these things, all right? Now, here's six Christian views on these six days. And I'm telling you, all six of these positions, it may not feel like it to you, but all six of these positions are actually Christian positions, right? These are Christian people. Number one, this is probably the, the best known, the most common of all. They believe that in those six days of creation, it, that every day was a 24-hour solar day view, all right? 24 hours. So what that means is that consecutively in these six days, day, 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 each one of them is 24 hours as we know it. So the entire creation process that we're going to read here happened in 144 hours. All right, start to finish. That's the first view. The second view is called the punctuated activity view. And what the punctuated activity view, me, view is, is that they believe that there's 24-hour periods, but they were separated by indefinite time periods. So God, on day one, separated the light from the dark. And then some amount of time went by, and then here's his second day of creation. And in the second day of creation, then he creates the sky and the sea, all right? And then it goes on, and then day three. And, and there's this different flex of time that happens in between, all right? That's the punctuated activity view. Third, um, this one's interesting. 
I hadn't really known much about this one. It's called the gap view. And what the gap view believes is that verse 1 that we looked at last week was God's initial creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then, because when verse 2, as we looked at last week, where it, it talks about the earth being formless and void, what they believe is, they believe that God created all things, but then that's when there was this cosmic war that happened in heaven, and the devil and the angels fell and destroyed what God had created. And so it just wrecked the place in that whole process. All right? And then when we pick up in, later in verse 3, God is now recreating at some period of time later what had already been destroyed. Okay, That's called the gap view. Fourth is what's called the day-age view. And in that view, every day that we see here in Scripture corresponds to a geological age or era. So if you remember science class in, in school, some of you are still in it and probably heard it recently, and you hear about all these different, you know, the Mesozoic era and the, the I, don't, I, don't, I can't even remember them all now, right? All these different um, eras of time, uh, millions of years, many of these periods. That's what they, they view. It's like, no, what they're discovering in science is that each of these big time periods were connected to each of the days that God uh, created. Fifth, the framework view. What they believe here is that these verses that we're going to look at here today were just a literary device conveying the truth of creation that God created, but definitely not literal days. It's more of like, no, this is just kind of the poetry and beauty of how it was being described. God created, yes, but this is, has nothing to do with the, the historical scientific parts of it. All right? And then six is what's known as the analogical day view. That means that days are really God-sized work days. All right, so yes, God created. He created in these periods of time, but they're not really days the way we think of 24-hour periods. They're these big God-sized days. And in each of these God-sized days, God did what God does. Okay? So these are six different views that Christians believe in this, all right? There's a lot there. Now, how and why can we have all these different views in Scripture? The big reason is, he didn't tell us. He didn't tell us all those details clearly. And that bothers a lot of us who want to know, oh, which was it? <laughs> is there an answer? Yes. Is there an exact way that God did all these things? Yes. Are you going to figure it out? No. <laughs> Not until we get to heaven will we be able to know for, without a shadow of doubt, this is how God did it. And that's on purpose, but we'll, but we'll get there, all right? The main thing that we need to get out of this, the main thing is that God did it. All right? God did it. That's the main thing. And where we left off in verse 2 last week, we saw that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, or the face, some translations say the face of the void. All right? Now, waters there, at the end of verse 2, is most likely not literal H2O water, because nothing's been created yet. All right? As we go on. But it was a way to describe this nothingness, this void, this emptiness. Or maybe God had created some elemental raw material that he would then develop and shape. Either way, we have God 
poised and ready to act. That's what's being described right there. All right? And verse 3 begins with that action. And the action revealed to us is God speaking. Verse 3, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, says this. And God said. I'm going to stop us right there. When God speaks, it is. That's the way it works. When God speaks, it is. The voice of God matters. The word of God is non-negotiable. Jesus said it himself in Luke 21, 33. He said, heaven and earth, all this created stuff, all of creation that we're going to be talking about here today, heaven and earth can, will pass away. But my words will not pass away. When God speaks, it is. And that's my hope. You know, um, we, just, we just sang a song that, that says, that's the power that I claim. What am I holding on to? I'm holding on to the word of God. That when God speaks and says, whoever believes in him and Jesus will not perish and have everlasting life, that's what I'm holding on to. It's the power of God's word to make things become the way he says they're going to become. And that's, that's where he goes here. He says, and God said, verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So day one, God creates light. Out of the nothingness, out of the inky blackness, God speaks light into existence. And what we learn as we study the scripture is that God himself is light. And, and it's one of the ways that he's revealed throughout the Bible. If you go all the way to the, where here we are in the first book of the Bible, you go all the way to the end in Revelation. One of the things that we see in the new heaven and the new creation, the new heaven and new earth, it says in Revelation 22.5, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So from his own light, he creates a division between light and dark. And his light is containing this nothingness, this darkness. And what this seems to be is an establishment of time and space. All right, and so for those of you who studied some physics and you understand how light works and how light travels in time and space and there's a speed involved in light and there's these light waves that travel through the universe, this is where it starts. It's the creation of, from God's light creating time and space. Now, a couple of the things I want to show you here before we go on into, verse, into the second day is that in the first three days that we're going to look at, day one, day two, day three, each of those first three days are days where God is forming something. All right? He's forming something. The last three days, day four, five, and six, is where God is filling what he formed. It's a really beautiful thing to see. All right? So day one, two, three, he forms. And day four, five, six, he fills. All right? Now, each of the six days of creation are also bracketed. It starts out with God said, and then it will end with, and there was evening, and there was morning, and then whatever day it was, 
all right? And then all the details are in between those two things, okay? Uh, not only that, we also see repeatedly that God said that it was good. God said it was good. This act of creation is right and it's good in God's sight. It wasn't broken. It wasn't imperfect. It wasn't flawed. It was good. All right? So remember that as we go on here. All right, and so now in verse 6. So that was the first day. Verse 6, and God said. It's underlined in my Bible because that's what's bracketing the days. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. A separation, it says here, of water from water. It's kind of this vague imagery. It's like, wait a minute, what do you mean separating water from water? It seems that what's happening here is God was creating an atmosphere or a space that was differentiating water from water. I think what's being described here is the difference from water vapor and liquid water, right? What we know as the sky and the sea. That's the separation that's taking place here. There's time and space. There's this, this realm that he's, he's formed, but now he's actually making a separation within this formed realm. He's creating a sky and he's creating a sea. We move on now. He's, he's going to prepare that for the rest of his creative activity, but in verse 9, what does it say next? It says, and God said, there it is again, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So now here in day three, so we've got time and space. We've got sea and sky. And now here in day three, we have earth. And, and we're also gonna see that there's, there's plant life. Um, coming. Did I, did I read that part in plant life? Oh, we haven't got there yet, but we will. All right. So the earth is now taking shape. It seems like God has set boundaries for these raw materials of sky and of water. Of, and now he's brought the earth out of the water. He's pushing the waters to the side and allowing earth to come up to the surface. What was that like? One giant landmass, a Pangea, uh, surrounded by one giant ocean? We don't know. It doesn't give us any of those details in these verses. But whatever it was, God was responsible for it, and it was good. All right? Again, that's the part you need to know. God is responsible for it, and it's good. And then he goes on there on day three, and he creates vegetation and plant life. Look at verse 11. It says, And God said... Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
and there was evening and there was morning the third day. He goes on in, in that, that day. He makes the vegetation and plant life. But, but notice here, there's still no sun for photosynthesis. There's no decomposed organic matter for the soil that we know of. But God spoke and it was. And the earth sprouts, uh, the earth sprouts plant life. It's pretty amazing what we're already seeing here. But it's only going to get better, guys, on top of that. So in these first three days, this realm has been formed. An empty universe lit by the light of God. There are no living creatures, only plant life. And now it's ready to be filled. All right, so it's formed in these three days, and now comes the filling. Verse 14, and God said, so we're kicking off another day here. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So in day four, we find stars and planets. It's here that things finally start becoming a little more visible for our imaginations. I don't know about you, but those first three days are really hard to picture. It's like, what? It's, there's nothing, and then there's something, and there's water, and there's, huh, how does this work? I don't understand. But once he finally puts the stars in space and gets planets ordered where they're supposed to be, you're like, okay, I can at least picture that. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting my handle on it, right? And, and that, now that the sun and moon are where they belong, then we begin to picture these things. Isn't it, side note here, isn't it amazing that God puts stars in the sky just to give light to earth, something for us to see. Back when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, I pulled out all these like super far out atmospheric pictures that all these tele space telescopes have been seeing. And we talked about the size of earth versus the size of sun, our sun, and then, and, and then planet Jupiter to the sun. But then the fact that our sun is a small sun compared to really big suns. And actually, that was only two years ago. And as I was looking through this and got off on a rabbit trail studying this, I realized, wow, the star that they thought was the biggest star in the universe two years ago, they found a bigger one already. in <laughs> um, two years ago, okay? And, and then that, you look at that and you're like, wow, that star is amazing. We're such a speck in all of this. And then they're like, okay, but that's just one star and in a galaxy, and then you think about, oh my gosh, the Milky Way and how big it is. But then on top of that, the Milky Way galaxy is one galaxy in now this Laniakea system that has got hundreds of thousands of galaxies. And it's like you just keep feeling smaller and smaller and smaller and littler and littler. But God is beyond all these things. But to think he would put a star millions and millions of light years out there just so that little speck of light would make it all the way back to Earth to make a human look out and be like, wow, 
It's amazing. When you think about this, it's incomprehensible, yes, but it's amazing. God is glorious and God is extravagant. Now, I told you at the beginning of six of the different views about the days of creation. And I want to push in on that a little bit. Creation is an incredible feat. It's the most marvelous thing that's ever happened, okay? If we believe in a God who could create all things, a God who has all of that in control, is it too much to believe that God could create those things in six 24-hour time periods? No. It's not too much to believe that. Not at all. What's the difference to him? Whether it's 24 second periods of time, whether it's 24 million years of time, could God do all these things? Yes, we've established that. That's the point. God created it. God did it. He can do all things. But let me ask you this. Let me challenge you a little bit with that. Does it make God any smaller if he didn't do all of creation in 24, six 24 hour time periods, in 144 hours? Absolutely not. God's the one calling the shots here. He can do either of those things. And the account we have here, I believe, is an historical account, but it's not an exhaustive account. And I know that when people want to start saying, it's got to be this or it's got to be that, that's where I start saying, hold on. I don't think we can make some of those statements. Some of those things are beyond us. I know that some of you want to know, well, Brett, what's your opinion? <laughs> All right, so let's step aside here and let's just talk about opinion. I'll give you some of my opinion. And I'm, I'm very slow to do that because I realize whatever opinion I give, once I've given you these six, some of you are like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's what I believe. All right, when I give you my opinion, I know that there's going to be some, some of you that don't agree and have a different opinion. It's okay. You can still love me. I can still love you. We can still be a church, all right? But I still think it's good, and just for, for fun, I may regret this later, but I'll share with you my opinion. Day four that we're looking at right here, day four is a reason that I'm not willing to draw a hard line and say there must have been 144 hours of creation and 144 hours alone. Why? Well, how, what do we base our 24-hour day upon? The rotation of the earth, one full rotation. That takes 24 hours. What do we base our year on? That planet going around the sun, one full orbit. But in day four, at the beginning of day four, there is no sun. There are not planets. Stars have not been put in the sky yet. However, could God have said, no, I'm still going to do it in these 24-hour periods? Totally. But am I willing to say absolutely he did? No. I'm not willing to say that because we don't even have a sun yet. How can we say it's 24 hours when we don't even know what the hours are yet? We don't even know what the seasons are yet. Because as God himself tells us here in Genesis, no, I'm going to put the sun and the stars and all that in there so that we have time and seasons and spaces, right? That's, that's why. Again, it doesn't mean that God could not have created each of those things in a 24-hour period even before days and years were laid out. 
What about scientific aging of the Earth? All right, science believes that the Earth is roughly 4.5 billion years old. That's, that's what the current number is, all right? And that number moves, but that's the current number of what we believe right now, 4.5 billion years. Could God have broken his own laws of science and physics and condensed the development and aging of the raw materials that he used in creation? Meaning, could God have added age into the dirt? Age into the... Of course he could. Absolutely. And so God, could God in 24 hours have made old dirt? Heck yeah, he's God. Absolutely he could do that. Personally, however, I think he probably, though, obeyed the rules that he established. Did he have to? No way, he's God. He's beyond all those things. Either way, we don't have clear answers to those questions from the account that we have in Genesis. And because we don't have those answers, I don't believe we need them. Okay? If we needed them, God would have given them to us. That's what I think. If we needed to know, this is how I did it, this is the chemistry behind it, here's the equations I used, here's the way it all works, boom, 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 I think God would have given it to us. But he didn't. 1 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He has given us everything we really absolutely need. And so even though your curiosity might tell you, I have to know, God says, eh, no you don't. I've given you what you really need to know. That's not one of those things. Wait till you get to heaven and then I'll have a big science meeting and bring you all together and I'll explain and give you the video feed of what actually took place. Okay? I don't know how he did it, but I believe he did it. And I know some of you may disagree with me on that, and that's okay. Remember, it's a non-essential. We might get to heaven, and you'll all run up to me and say, I told you so. That's fine. It's okay. Do that. But be okay with the mystery that surrounds this, the wo and wonder at what is beyond us. And let me, let me also say this, because this is what some people will say on this. They'll say, well, if you question any of this, it's going to make you question the authority of Scripture. No. No, not at all. The reason people struggle with this is that they want Genesis to do something that it was not intended to do. What it is meaning for us to get out of it in Genesis chapter 1 is that God did it, and it was good. God did it, and it was good. Now we move on in verse 20. The next day, day five. Here's what it says. And God said, kicking off the day, let the waters, you know, we have the, the sea, we have the sky now. It's all in, com composed into time and space. It says, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth, uh, across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. 
and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God created the heavens and the earth and God created the creatures of the earth. Again, we are not told the details of how, but what we have is that it was the intention of God to bring forth life and life came forth. So not only is God light, God is life. Job got it right in Job 33:4 when he said, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Life comes from God. And God blessed the life he gave and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And, and guys, realize that sometimes, people sometimes wrongly try, I, I mentioned this before, they wrongly try to pit God and science against each other as if they're, they're enemies, as if you can only trust one and not the other. But that's not the way it should be. Science is the study of the physical and natural world through observation and experimentation. That's what science is. The study of the physical and natural world through observation and experimentation. Science is discovering what God has done. That's what science is. And they aren't at odds. Now, sometimes scientists make the arrogant mistake of thinking that they've solved all the mysteries of the universe and have disproved God's existence. Obviously, that's not true. But on the same time, on the flip side of that, you sometimes have deeply religious people that have made the mistake of demonizing those who would discover the mysteries that God has placed in his creation. And I think most of the time, God probably chuckles at the things that we get all hung up on. <laughs> oh, if this is that way, then this can't be. And God's like, ah, no, that's, you'll, another 200 years, you'll figure that part out and how this works and how that works and how it all fits together. No, I didn't do it that way, but that's all right. You go that way for a little while thinking that. God gives life and he blessed them and they multiplied. And then we see in ver verse 24, it says, and God said, did I reread this part? No, I didn't. This is the beginning of, of day six. And God said, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. In day six, we have animals and we won't get to it today, but humans in day six. And notice here that the living creatures came forth according to their kinds. This describes a creative intention for animals. We still, to this day, see orders and families and species of animals today. And this goes all the way back to creation. Forming and filling. I also want you to notice this, because I think this is pretty cool. This is kind of geek pastor stuff, but I think it's cool, so I'm going to tell you. Notice the correlation between the first three days of forming and the last three days of filling. Day one actually corresponds to day four. All right, day one 
with the separation of light from the darkness, then corresponds over to now, he, so he creates this space for light and dark, and then he fills the space of light and dark with planets. Okay, then you come to day two, and you've got the sea and, uh, and the air, right? And then day five over here, you've got birds and water animals, the fish of the sea. Then you've got the land in day three, and down here in day six, you now have land creatures. He forms it, he forms these places, these, these areas to be formed, and then he fills them in a corresponding way. I think it's so cool that it, that it was that way. And with all of it, God saw that it was good. When we hear about all of the bad that surrounds us in this world, it's sometimes hard to keep a good attitude, right? You hear about the things that happen on earth and you're like, this is a really messed up place. I, I feel that way a lot. And when we feel the results of sin, when we see the brokenness and death and destruction, it's hard to remember that God created the universe and it was good. When it was created, at this point, by the end of day six, it is good. By the end of day six, we'll see God even says, it's very good. All right, it's good. And furthermore, he created it from something that was without form and void, chaos. But he brought form to it. He gave it form and he gave it fullness. And we believe in a God that is beyond the fallenness and brokenness of this world. And we have to remember that. When we get bogged down by thinking this life is hard, these people are wicked, diseases are awful, pain is bad, death is devastating. We get buried in that. And sometimes we can get like, kind of like almost nihilistic where we're depressed and we're down and we're just feeling like it's so dark and it's so bad. We have to remember there's a God beyond all this. A God who's creative, a God who is good, and a God that can bring order out of the chaos. He can bring life from the death. It's important that we remember that. Yes, sin has left a mark on this planet. We're gonna talk more about that in chapter three. But the goodness of God and his creation can't be understated. And remember guys, the same God that is light and life is the God we worship today, that we worship right now. Jesus, who was there at the beginning, brings light and life to all that would receive him. He takes our disordered souls and he forms them with light and he fills us with life. Abundant life is what Jesus said. He wants to fill us with. And I just wanna to say to you as we finish here today, if you sense that there's a real chaos and disorder in your life, that God wants to come alongside and he wants to recreate you. He wants to work on you and in you. He wants to impact you. He wants to take your disordered soul and bring light and fill you with life. Allow him to do that. And if you recognize what he's already doing in your life in that way, then this is why we gather together and celebrate that. 
My hope for you guys as we go through Genesis is that you feel the way I feel about it, I think, most of the time. I'm excited when I'm reading through Genesis. I'm looking forward to God recreating things and healing things. I look forward to the very end when he returns and he makes all things new. I get excited about what he has done. Yes, I'm sad about the messy part in between, but I look forward to what God is going to do, and I hope that you can do that as well and that we can celebrate that God together. Amen? Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word here today. And Lord, I know that some of the things that I am talking about here today are hard to understand. I know that some of this is so beyond our comprehension. But Lord, I just pray that in all of it, God, we can get the main point. And the main point is that you are beyond and before all things. And that you are good. And Lord, I pray that as we as a church go into the world, Lord, that we would not see only the brokenness and the darkness of this world, Lord, but we would also see the goodness of this world. Yes, we're bent. Yes, we need a savior. Yes, sin needs to be dealt with. And you've provided all of those things. And so, Lord, we are people that can go forward in hope, people that go forward in joy, people that are excited about the light and the creative power of our God. And Lord, I pray that we would see that in our own lives, that we would experience your renewal and your healing and your recreation, that you, Lord, would continue to transform us and renew us. Do all the work that you want to do in our hearts and our minds and in our lives. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.